2: I'm Kyone Wolf. Hoarding disorder, as defined by the Mayo Clinic, is a persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions because of a perceived need to save them. And when you imagine the home of someone who has hoarding disorder, you might picture a range of conditions. Maybe you've seen pictures from news stories or reality TV shows like Hoarders on A&E. Close it. Close it all. Oh. The fridge is gone. I have
3: three houses full of stuff. You are boarded out of your house, which means there is no place to sleep.
1: There is no kitchen, no living room, no bathroom, no bedrooms. Just garbage.
2: Dirt? What, maybe mud? No, that's human waste. Or maybe you imagine less dire conditions. Sure, there are Stacks of magazines on tables, boxes of paperwork lining the hallway, and there are a few piles of tote bags and blankets and clothes here and there. Yeah, every room is full of something, but there's nothing dangerous about the place. But no matter the condition of the home, many people who have extreme difficulty with controlling clutter and hoarding share some other psychological conditions. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, ADHD, anxiety disorders, and depression, to name a few. And there may be a genetic component as well. And the term hoarding? That's a loaded one. Not everybody who has attributes of this condition identifies with it.
0: I don't consider myself a hoarder. I'm someone who just has trouble throwing things away. That's Rachel, whom you'll meet
2: later. She and her children hired a hoarding disorder remediation expert to help her declutter. You'll also meet a woman who absolutely identifies as being a hoarder. Her YouTube channel, A Hoarder's Heart, documents her experience coping with and making progress in controlling it. But before we meet them, let's understand a little bit more about this condition. Dr. David Tolan is the founder and director of the Anxiety Disorders Center and the Center for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy at the Institute of Living here in Hartford. He was also the original psychologist on the A&E series Hoarders.
1: First, I think we need to recognize that hoarding disorder is a real psychiatric illness. I mean, this is something that, you know, a, a certain segment of the population experiences where their behavior has really gotten out of control. And this is not the same thing as just being messy. Lots of people are messy. I mean, you're we're on video, you can see my desk is a mess. But the distinction largely comes down to function. So my desk is a mess, yes but as you can also see i'm able to sit here at the desk and i'm able to talk to you and i'm able to use my phone and use my computer and i can write a memo and i can do desk stuff at the desk but if you imagine that we just cranked up the clutter on the desk eventually we would reach a point where the desk really wasn't a desk anymore i mean it was a desk in name only
2: a dyno <laughs>
1: it's a dyno yeah but ultimately, what it's become is a storage space. And in hoarding disorder, that's what you see in large swaths of the home. The kitchen is no longer really a kitchen, and the bedroom is no longer really a bedroom, et cetera. These have just become converted into de facto storage spaces.
2: I know you've seen one hoarder, you've seen one hoarder, but are there any commonalities you see in terms of something that happened? In their lives? Or is it not necessarily that one thing?
1: You know, there's probably no smoking gun here. You know, sometimes hoarding can be a trauma response, but in most cases it's not. We looked to see whether material deprivation might predispose a person to hoarding, like does not having enough when you were a kid predispose people to hoarding? And it doesn't really seem to in any particularly strong way. But one thing that kind of jumps out is emotional deprivation, that people at least retrospectively with hoarding disorder report feeling emotionally deprived as children. Now, of course you have to take that with a certain grain of salt. That's a retrospective report from somebody who's probably viewing their childhood through that particular filter, that lens. But nevertheless, it gives us some intriguing ideas about where we might go and and what kinds of things might predispose a person to develop hoarding disorder.
2: What does recovery look like for someone who has been hoarding? Because I, I'd like to imagine it's like a relatively clean house. Nothing's in the way. All the bugs are gone. They feel at peace. They feel like they identify with the place where they live and it feels good to them. Is that pie in the sky?
1: It's not entirely pie in the sky. Uh, you know, I think we certainly see a lot of people who experience great reactions, a great response to the treatment. There's a lot of people who really turn their lives around. And when you look at the data, what you see is that although the majority of people, the vast majority of people who receive CBT show a reliable decrease in the symptoms of hoarding disorder, only a minority of them achieve remission which meaning absence of hoarding disorder. So what that means then, if you put those two pieces of evidence together is that the end state for most clients with hoarding disorder is going to be that you still have hoarding disorder at the end of this, but it's gonna be a better managed condition that is less hazardous to you and less getting in the way of your life.
2: You've worked with people with this disorder. Has there ever been an experience that's kind of blown your mind a little bit?
1: Well, I mean, I've certainly seen some really tragic cases of hoarding disorder, uh, where the persons I've I've never had a client die, for example, in a house fire or by being crushed by belongings. But I've certainly seen a lot of people that worried me that that was going to happen. Um, I know there was one case where the, the clutter was so bad, it was stacked six feet high. And the only way to get from room to room was to climb on top of the stack of clutter and army crawl across it to get under the archway to the next room and then climb back down into the next room. You know, that that's an example of somebody who really worried me like this is not somebody who's going to fare well unless we do something really dramatic to help her.
2: I feel like shame is probably a big element of this because it's not like they don't see what's going on you know how much of a challenge is getting past that shame in order to get better
1: it's huge i mean there is a real stigma against people with hoarding disorder um i mean there, there's a stigma against mental illness in general but there's some literature that suggests that it's particularly strong against people with with hoarding disorder and that stigma comes from the community it comes from professionals it comes from family members and it comes from the person with hoarding disorder themselves. Everybody has a tendency to get into thinking that this is some really bad personality characteristic that, you know, and, and of course that's not true. And a big piece of what we need to do early on in, in addressing hoarding disorder is trying to break down some of that stigma and shame. One of the ways that we do that here at the Institute of Living is we do group formats. And, and not everybody is in love with being in a therapy group because it is so revealing. But we often find that's the linchpin to breaking down some of the, the secrecy and the shame and the stigma around hoarding disorders, being able to open up and talk with other people about your home and about your behavior, and then listening to them say, yeah, I'm kind of doing the same thing. And then you work together on trying to make your lives better.
2: Yeah, I think there is this moral judgment about the condition of our homes uh, and our general living areas, right? Like a a neat home means your mind is organized and all is in the right place. And the more messy your house is, the more messy your mind is. So you better get it cleaned up. And there is this sort of air of superiority if you keep your place nice and neat that therefore you are advanced and more worthy of whatever
1: it gets very easy to look at a cluttered home and to use pejorative labels like lazy or sloppy you know and and i'd say nothing is farther from the truth in people with hoarding disorder I, i think we have a hard time recognizing hoarding disorder as a legitimate psychiatric illness in which the person's behavior has really gotten out of their control doesn't mean they can't get that control back but we need to cut them a bit of slack and recognize that people with hoarding disorder didn't just wake up and say, this is how I want to live. They slid into a pattern of behavior that spiraled out of control, sometimes very quickly, to the extent that they're, they've become overwhelmed and they can't, they don't feel like they can do anything about it. So people with hoarding disorder really need our understanding and they need our help rather than our judgment.
2: So how can we help? If we know somebody who we kind of have this suspicion and we've been watching them and it's been getting progressively more concerning, what are the best ways to help them and what are ways people often screw that up?
1: Well, the number one screw up way is argue about it, right? Because just, you know, you're never going to win an argument about hoarding. I mean, if you're the average person with hoarding disorder, you're middle-aged or older, and you've been doing this for decades, And if you've been doing it for decades, chances are you've also been arguing about it for decades because you argued with your parents about it, then you argued with your spouse about it, then you argued with your children about it and so on. Well, if you have been doing anything for decades, a couple things are predictable. One is you're gonna become a master of it. You're gonna become so good at it that you become unbeatable. But the other is that that's gonna become your knee-jerk go-to reaction. So if you have a loved one with hoarding disorder and you go all confrontational on them and you say, listen, I'm going to tell you what's what, understand that you are stepping on into a minefield that has been there for decades and the person is the master of this. So there's just no point, right? All you're going to do is further entrench the person and alienate them and and potentially damage your relationship. What makes more sense is to be gentle and to say, I'm concerned and here are the reasons that I'm concerned, and not to layer it with judgment, not to use words like lazy or sloppy, but to be very descriptive and say, here's what I'm seeing, here's why this worries me. You know, is it that I'm worried that there's a fire hazard or I worry you're gonna fall over something, or I worry that the air quality is no good for you. Here's what I think could be happening, and here are some resources that I think you might wanna look into. And that might be a book about the topic, It might be a reference to a clinic that specializes in this. Um, But but really, you know, you have to, as a family member, be be just as willing to listen as you are to speak. I mean, recognize the person with hoarding disorder is going through a lot. This is hard on them, too, even if they don't show it. And it's going to be very difficult for them to talk about it. And if you come in like gangbusters, they're just going to retreat and that'll be the last conversation you'll have about it.
2: When I picture someone who's hoarding, I picture them alone. Uh, Do most cases that you see or have seen, are they just one person? Because I imagine that if if somebody hoarded and they had a spouse or a partner or a family member or whatever, that that person who didn't share that same feeling or condition would be out of there.
1: Uh, And that, that does happen a lot of the time. And we do see that people with hoarding disorder are much more likely to be single Than are people with other psychiatric disorders. Now, it's a little confusing as to what causes what. Does hoarding drive people away? Possibly. But does the absence of people in your life lend itself to more hoarding behavior? You know, one of the things that we see when we, at least when we ask retrospectively about the behavior, is that it seems to spike up when your kids leave the house, for example. You know, and that's less pressure on you to keep the the house tidy. Or if you get a divorce or your spouse passes away. Now, again, that could be emotional, um, you know, but it also could be very practical that that was the person who was containing this behavior. And now they're not there anymore.
2: One thing that occurred to me as I was having this conversation with you is I keep calling them hoarders, Mm. which now that I think about the language I'm using, you know, I think like. I don't want to call someone an alcoholic. Because it's right. like they're, they're, they're more than that. What's a better uh, phrase to call these people who have this condition?
1: I really appreciate you asking that question, Kyle, because I, I, too, tend to shy away from the word hoarder, even though I'm on a show of, of that title. Um, I didn't name it. But I, I, I think using person first language is important when you're talking about psychiatric illness, um, just because it's it's so stigmatizing. So instead of referring to somebody as a hoarder, I tend to refer them as a person with hoarding disorder which is just more clinically accurate.
2: Thank you. Well, Dr. David Tolan, thank you so much for talking with me.
1: My pleasure, anytime.
2: Check out the extended version of my conversation with Dr. Tolan on your favorite podcast app. And if you or someone you care about could use some help, we'll have links at ctpublic.org audacious. And you can also call the helpline at NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, That number is 800-950-6264. When we get back, one woman invites me into her house, and we explore the nuances she sees between hoarding and, well, just not having gotten rid of everything yet.
0: Okay, so this is like, this would be hoarding magazines. It's really not. I collect them. I mean, I have 25 years of Architectural Digest, so I actually will sell the Architectural Digest.
2: I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Windham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. Individuals
3: will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal.
1: For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging.
3: Many individuals traveled to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, that individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by.
1: To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
2: This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. The word hoarder isn't something a lot of people like to call themselves. As we talked about in the last segment, there's a whole spectrum, and that label isn't all anybody really is, anyway. And sometimes, they don't use it because it just doesn't feel like the right label. Like our next guest, Rachel, who lives in Connecticut and is using a pseudonym because she doesn't want to be identified outside of her family unit, invited me to her home to walk me through the clutter she's been coping with for years. She's made a lot of moves between different houses over her life, so the problem has ebbed and flowed. But recently, things got so out of hand that she and her children agreed to get some help. As Rachel walks me through her house, you'll hear her mention Melissa Loddick. She's been a hoarding disorder remediation expert for over 30 years, and she was the person who connected us with Rachel. When I walked in the door of Rachel's house, the hallway was clear. But beyond that, yeah, there was stuff in every room I saw. There was definitely room to navigate through the house, and I didn't feel at all like I was going to trip over anything, but there were boxes and boxes of stuff filled with paperwork and supplies, books, clothes on top of folded up blankets, on top of plastic bins. Rachel, who talks openly about having ADHD, walked me directly to the back of her house where there was a big round table topped with stacks of magazines.
0: Well, see, this is not, okay, well, I wasn't going to show you any of this because. So the woman that helps, Melissa, actually, who works for me and cleans and also is helping me organize, she took everything, this is what happens, she took everything that I sorted, everything, everything was sorted on the table, but she wanted a free table. She went, you have to have the table free. Okay. So she takes everything that I sorted and she puts it in these boxes. Okay. So you had them organized and then they got disorganized. I am very organized. It's just that I have too much stuff. Okay, so this is like, this would be hoarding magazines. It's really not, I collect them, but. How would you describe, so since
2: this is radio, how would you describe what we're looking at over here on this table?
0: This would be me taking magazines that were sorted and and put in different places over the years that I wanna keep. And so I'm looking at piles of. They're all, they're either either architectural or cooking. When you look at this table of piles
2: of magazines. I freak out.
0: Tell me more about that. Well, because this room was clean two weeks ago. There wasn't anything in it. But as you, and Melissa will tell you this, I guess, I I, may quote her every now and then, but that, you know, it's a cubic, you know, it's a Rubik's Cube. You clean one thing and then something else becomes a mess. So all of this actually is is in the garage, which I'm trying to really clear out because my son wants to be able to park his car in the garage. Now we, we can't. I mean, I have 25 years of Architectural Digest. So I actually will sell the Architectural Digest. But I use these. I have them. I'm recording, aren't I? Yeah. All right. Well, I, I keep them organized January, February into sections. Magazines, if you look at them, every January for the last 25 years has had, don't you know, puddings or stews or comfort food that comes in a cooker. You know, if they are actually very programmed. Bon Appétit is still within Bon Appétit, and Gourmet is Gourmet. But I have, you know, fifteen years of January Gourmet, and you know, and so I put them in January, February, March. I divided them into quarters because it was easier. You had said that you would sell these. No, these and the Architectural Digests I'm selling. I've got like, I mean, I have full sets of Architectural Digests that I've enjoyed, and I really don't need them. But these, the cooking, I. I Every Thanksgiving, I pull out 20 magazines, and I look at them, and I revisit them, and I love them. If I want to make ice cream, I pull them all out. But what about, like, Googling it? Well, but that's... I, I am... I like paper. I like newspaper. I like the New York Times in my hand. I don't... You can Google it. If I wanted to make strawberry ice cream, I can Google it, but that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at... You know, all these magazines... In, Unfortunately, a cooking magazine is just not only cooking. It's cooking and crafts for the children and gifts that you're going to bring to your friend. And so they're all and they're by season. So the then stuff. there I mean, then there are all the magazines around the house that I just love magazines. So I you know, bring them home. And those are the ones that really that we throw away. So we'll throw away anything. For example, the New York magazines, I'm not going to keep all of those, but I'm going to but I want to go through them. And so sometimes with people, when they have stuff like this, they, they just want you to throw everything away. And I just say no. Two things.
2: Is it okay if I take some pictures here and there as we go, or does that
0: make you feel well, iffy? Pictures for you, but you're right on the radio. You're not ready. right,
2: but like we have a web page and stuff.
0: Oh no. Okay, you got well, it. Well, maybe I'll think about it. Think about it. The I'm other- showing you this just so that you understand yes, that I, I, there's a differentiation between hoarding and collecting. Okay, I don't think I hoard. I think that I just over the years have had trouble throwing things away, and usually it's because I don't have the time. It's not because I. I want things to be, I'm okay with disarray. I'm not. I have ADHD. Order, structure. If you look at my spices, they're in alphabetical order. So I mean that's the difference. People sometimes open my cabinets and they go, oh my God. Or they'll go into my clothing closet and they'll see that everything is sorted. They're, they're divided by season, but they're in order of color or or fabric or something. Because I need order. I like order. I like a file for everything. Now, a lot of people will say you don't need a file for everything, which is probably true. But when I started doing this, you know, you couldn't put everything on your Mac or, you know, whatever it was. You're, you were saying there's a distinction for you between hoarding. Well, and- I, don't, I don't consider myself a hoarder. I'm a, someone who just has trouble throwing things away, you know, getting or parting. And also... Wait a minute. Which, why, which, why parting instead of throwing away? Well, because, for example... Um, well, someone would look at that box right there, and they'd say, well, you don't need this. The box
2: full of what looks like magazines it's, and It's
0: probably, paper. it could be, probably furniture, it was either going to be furniture or kitchen. I love designing. I probably should have been an architect. But, and I'm, and I'm Your also, time's not over yet. I'm building a house across the street. So, But I, I could sit down tonight and probably go through this box and, and throw a lot of it away. But I also will find duplicates. I mean, there are things, I, I don't keep everything. I just keep what it is that I... I'm interested in, and I love kitchens and you know, organizing. And um. How long would you say this has been
2: what you've been up against? Like, has it been like this your whole life, that you've collected stuff?
0: Um, no. No, I don't. My mother was really neat, so I had to be neat at home. Um, I like order. I just need closets. My problem is that I need closets.
2: When you think about collecting the things you've collected, in some ways, I figure, like, that's some sort of control that you have. But at the same time, getting rid of this stuff is also control.
0: Well, it's letting go. You know, that's what everyone would say. On certain things, you know, letting go. This is my hobby collecting magazines. And the bottom line is it really is a hobby. It's not at all about hoarding magazines. I don't need, I don't go into hospitals and take all the magazines. And so if it's my hobby, then, you know, then, then it really can't be criticized. You want to criticize me for having four, five KitchenAids? You can criticize Do me for Do you have that. five KitchenAids? Yeah, I <laughs> One of the things that Melissa did do when she came in with her team was she organized all the paperwork into boxes. So now all my chases and, you know, everything. But still, I still have to weed through it. See, they are like all these boxes over there in the corner. And when they went to throw them away, I said, uh-uh, you're not throwing them away. You leave them right there until I can see what they are. Do you think they understood why you said that? No. Or why you feel that way? Well, they, they understand that that's who I am, but they don't understand why it might be really necessary to do that. So why would you say it's necessary to do that? Because I'm gonna find things that I need. I mean, it may have record, I mean, who knows what's in there. Have you ever had the experience when you went through something and you're like, see, this is why I keep stuff. Or amidst the savings bonds. I can't tell you how many checks and and I can't tell you. So when you find those things,
2: you get these dopamine hits and you're like, Look, if I hadn't done this thing, exactly, then we yeah. would be out this money or we'd be out this this resource or, or, or. And so that keeps you
0: thinking, let me protect myself by keeping this stuff around. I don't have to keep it. I just want to go through it before I keep it. That's the issue. This, so it's real, that's why I said it's not about having to feel like I need all this stuff. It's about being able to not have the time to go through things that have accumulated over 30, literally over 30, 40 years that... Maybe I don't need them. You need to be the filter. I have thrown away probably 10 times what's in this house, or more, but of course, that's another issue. People don't necessarily see that. I mean, I'm constantly throwing things away. So it does feel
2: good to let it go when oh, it's yeah. gone
0: through I love, your... I, I, want it, I want to live in a neat home. I want to be able to wake up in the morning and just live. You know, go take a yoga class, or you know, go do things that I really need to do.
2: Regardless of what you think about the afterlife.
0: You mean after I die? Yes. Or after, okay.
2: <laughs> when you imagine the moments after your soul has evaporated, either onto the next one or completely—who knows—and maybe you're floating above your body and above this house, and you can't do anything about any of this anymore.
0: How do you think that'll feel? Well, there shouldn't be anything to do anything about anymore. anymore. I mean, I, but if
2: it but but if but if it happens after I leave tonight,
0: oh well, then I would have probably I'll probably feel that I failed.
2: If someone came into this house while you were out of the house and they never got to meet you, they were not
0: charmed by you as I am. Or <laughs> was... Samantha the witch, <laughs> who I no. wish I I wake up every morning just praying that I would be. Samantha the witch might just zoom in, you know, channel in and do what. Wiggle her nose. Don't you remember? remember No, I remember. You're much younger than I am. No, I remember. (laughs) And wiggle her nose, and it would go. That would be so great. That would be so great. I would have a file. I'd have, like, two files of, you know, stoves, lamps, glazing, painting, blah, blah, blah. You know, everything would be in a file, a neat file. And it would just be in a wall that I could guess. Oh, I want to look up getting a new stove now, or I want to look up, you know, natural lighting, or something about energy, or I mean, and then I could just go to a file, just like you can go on. I want my, I want the house to be like a computer. <laughs> just <laughs> open that tab. Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to go and find it.
2: So a dream come true would be Samantha wiggling her nose.
0: Yeah. And all Goodbye, of this. Goodbye. Have it all disappear. Have things that need to be disappeared, disappeared. Things that need to be sold, sold. Things, things that need to be Things need to be given away, given away. Yeah. When you look
2: around at the things in piles here and the, the effort excess, to organize. I think it's excess, The excess uh, in your home. Do you think that that's an accurate reflection of who you are? Or do you think, this isn't me? I just
0: haven't gotten this taken care of yet. Like That's what I feel that this is not me. Inside my cabinets, inside my closets is me. The way I organize inside is me. With all the labels pointed out and everything organized, that's you. My spices are in alphabetical order
2: and always have been. So in some ways, this room and house are you, Yes. but at the same time, if you could wave a magic wand, you would have it be more organized,
0: be less cluttered. I would have less out. And things, the things that are that I need organized. That's all. All
2: right, you know, okay. let's let's mosey.
0: And then bring this into the kitchen. Can you show me the spices? Oh, my spices are right yeah. here. Oh, whoops. Lee. my spices are here. Yep. These are all the things that I make. Pepitas. Yep, yeah, they're seasoned here. And yeah, I, I make them with. Um, can I try some? Yeah, you, you know what I can do it again. you have the one that you can take it. Taste them. That's delicious. You like it? You can have it. I'll make more. With a jar and everything? Don't just put it in my pocket? uh, Is (laughs) it okay (laughs) if I take it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (coughs) Okay. You know what I'm gonna do? When I get home and I finish these pepitas, I'm gonna save this jar, and I'm gonna think about you every time. Oh, that's so cute.
0: Anything else would you like? Well, see. <laughs> now see, now what it is No, this is this is a cereal. All right, so here's my last question. Here, put some, have some of that. <laughs> this I don't make very often, so I really uh, like you. <laughs> I like you too.
2: Why did you agree to let me into your house and show me around and talk about what this is like for you?
0: I guess because I think it'll probably help other people. And how they're dealing and how they, my problem that I had, that I want to share with other people, I think, is that it's okay that you want to give things away. Some people just don't want to give things away. They just want it out of their life. They just want to throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. And I've, so people who have tried to help me, have gotten very frustrated, even cried about, literally have cried because I don't say, oh, absolutely, I'm giving that away or absolutely, I'm throwing that away. I think it's more about what I don't throw away than what, think because I'm perfectly happy to give it away. It's just that now I have to find the perfect person to give it away too. And so that can be a problem for other people because they don't get that. The fact that things are out are distraction. If they just had a home and they were away, I'd be fine. And then I'd be able to look at them and say, oh, I have too much. See, I really would be able to do that if, you could, if I could just get all this stuff away, then once it's away and I'm calm and things are clean, then I can say, oh, well, you know, I don't need this cook. I, I don't need this cookbook. But you can, I can't, it's very hard to see when there's so much stuff. I feel like I've been totally babbling.
2: No, you've been great. You've been great. Thank you. I'm so honored that you let me into your home oh, and that you please. opened up to me in more ways than one. I really deeply appreciate it. That was Rachel. She lives in Connecticut. And by the way, I was munching on those pepitas all the way back to Hartford and you know what? I am totally going to keep that jar they came in forever. We'll have a few pictures that Rachel was cool with us using, taken by Melissa Laddick, whom she hired to help her with her clutter at ctpublic.org/audacious. After the break, how one woman with hoarding disorder
3: used YouTube to help improve her conditions. Okay, if I declutter things now, I'm going to get a positive reinforcement from my YouTube family. They're going to be like, you did a great job. I'm Kayone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast
0: in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project.
3: If you've never donated to this station before, that's okay. Public radio is available to everyone for free. But we do rely on listener support from those who are able to give. So join the community of supporters for public media giving days. And thanks.
0: Give now at ctpublic.org donate.
2: This is Audacious. I'm Kayone Wolf. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, Up to 5% of the world's population displays symptoms of clinically diagnosable hoarding. That means that about 400 million people have a persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions because of a perceived need to save them. When Melanie Renee from New Jersey started filming the conditions of her home and talking about her struggles with hoarding disorder, she discovered that having an audience really helped motivate her to do something about it. We found her thanks to her YouTube channel, A Hoarder's Heart, which she's been keeping up for over four years now. Here's a clip.
3: I love all these lip glosses, but I have a weird thing of certain gifts that I give. I don't open it. I will keep things brand new to keep them in this mint condition so that I can actually hold on to the same feeling as if I just received it, if that makes sense. Like because this is brand new i get that same like oh it's brand new and i remember when i opened it and i was so happy and i loved it so that i can almost recreate that feeling every time i will keep it in perfect condition and not use it it doesn't make sense i'm trying to figure that out more and i'm curious if other hoarders if you could comment down below do you feel like that as well i'm curious this is my contact paper so I'll just go I was ahead. curious
2: to find out how far back she remembers her attachment to objects being deeper or more complex than other people's.
3: I guess that first memory for me is the attachment that I had to my toys as a very very young little girl. Like Toy Story was very real to me. <laughs> it was it was very real and at a very young age, like two, I was, I always loved people. I loved people. My mom has said that I would run up to strangers and hold their hands and hug them. And I was an only child and I didn't have grandparents. They passed before I was born. And, um, half of my family was from Chile, was living in Chile, you know? So I was by myself a lot. And this soul that craved people and loved it and thrived in it, who didn't have any siblings to play with, had a lot of My Little Ponies and Barbies and Care Bears. It's Did eight. you have Teddy
2: Ruxpin? Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Me too.
2: <laughs> Although not the most cuddly toy. It was a little hard, yes. the cassette tape. Yeah, anyway.
3: Yes. And I had a wild imagination. Unicorns and fairies were very real in my world. And being home by myself, I would play with them. And they had names and they had personalities and they were my sisters and they were my brothers and we created these stories together. So at a young, that those young ages, I humanized inanimate objects as if they were a part of me or an extension of me or family members. So those were the first little signs of how deeply connected to stuff I was.
2: So four years ago, You recorded a video on your YouTube channel called This Is My Story. It was your first video about this, and and you went through a room in the house where you were identifying, like, this is a problem.
3: This is my story. My story is that I'm a hoarder, and some of the rooms in my house are hoarded like this one. This room has just become a catch-all. When did you
2: know something's wrong?
3: I always knew something was wrong. It was just, when was I going to accept it and take the steps forward? I always knew I was on the spectrum of hoarding. I didn't know how far I was on it. I always wanted to fix it, but I was too afraid to fix it because of the judgment that society casts on us. You know, we're labeled as these lazy and dirty and disgusting humans. And it's like, we already know we're struggling with it. We don't need anyone else to tell us that. And we're just too afraid to seek that help because we're afraid of that judgment. So then what do we do? We hoard more to cope with those emotions. And it's just a continuous cycle that we're stuck in. And that's why I say humanized hoarding disorder, because I feel like, I don't feel like I know that once my YouTube... Family accepted me for who I was and understood it and gave me love and compassion. That's what drove my soul to be like, okay, I can change this around because I'm finally understood. You know, people can finally understand the true mentality and they're not looking at me as a dirty, lazy person. They're looking at me as an actual human being who is struggling and has used hoarding as her coping mechanism for her entire life, for all the stresses of life. It's just my vice. It's just what I've done. we've all got them. Yeah, we all got a vice, right? And mine was holding on to stuff much
2: too long. (laughs) Now, when you started making progress, what in the beginning of your facing this worked?
3: I knew it was my calling. It felt right. You know, you know, when universe, God, whatever, you know, you truly believe in higher source, you know, when they kind of give you those nudges, like you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And you're like, nope, (laughs) that intuitive push. It's like, no, I'm going to show my hoard to the entire world. No, thank you. You know, but it just kept pushing and pushing and pushing until it felt like. You know what? This is your calling. Like, you're meant to do this. It's going to be okay. Not only are you going to heal yourself, you're going to help heal many other people alongside of you. You're going to, you love people. You innately always loved it. So now you're even going to be able to love on a grander scale, you know?
2: So you're saying that it was the connection with your audience and coming out with it that was the crowbar to crack open that
3: door. That is the main tool. It was a support group, it was a family. It was, rooting your eyes. It was lifting you up. You know, decluttering was now becoming a positive experience instead of a negative experience because I had to face my past demons, you know, so it's like, okay, if I declutter things now, I'm going to get a positive reinforcement from my YouTube family. They're going to be like, you did a great job. I'm so proud of you. And it's just continuous that uh, positive cycle. Now, of
2: course, Marie Kondo comes up. She must come up uh, with this episode, uh, the method of identifying an object, thanking it, letting it go. Yes. Will you talk about how the Marie Kondo method in ways worked for you and in
3: ways it didn't? Marie Kondo, I had to flip her philosophy a little bit. Because when you're a hoarder and you have these emotional attachments and stability and humanized everything, everything sparks joy. There's no boundary. (laughs) There's no definitive line that this doesn't and this does, you know. It's kind of like I had to flip it to the point where what doesn't spark joy? I have to start there because everything's sparking joy i'm feeling overwhelmed which hello is triggering my anxiety all these emotions you know past traumas and i'm so overwhelmed that i'm going to what avoid it because <laughs> it's not feeling good so i'm just going to avoid it and that's what most hoarders do because they They have to really do the root work (laughs) of why I'm holding on to it. Why do I feel this need to hold on to everything? So with Marie Kondo, I just had to flip her philosophy. And I said it on a few of my videos. I said, look, I got to look at the room and be like, well, what doesn't spark joy? What is something that I'm like, you know what? I'm not feeling anything to it I'm not feeling a story, I'm not feeling an emotion. I'm not being triggered. I can actually take this item and then let it go and then recondition my nervous system that I am still safe if I let this go. That was a very, very key thing, was reconditioning my nervous system to understand that if I declutter, I'm still safe. I'm still, happy. I'm still myself, you know, because my entire life has been reinforced with my body being coded that I'm only safe with my clutter. It's always rescued me in times of stress. When I was abused in a past relationship, in my teenage years, this stuff was always there and it always saved me. So that consistent coding in my body, you know, I had to reprogram.
2: I know that some of the stuff you have, there's a lot of clothes, yep. games, toys, you've got kids. Um, I want to ask, like, is any of it considered trash? You know, like wrappers, um, containers,
3: stuff. That That's people... the funny thing about like hoarding is it wasn't trash if I humanized it and I gave it a meaning, you know. So it's kind of like beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You know, I can hold on to the tissue paper that I can hold on to a tissue paper, right? But what it signifies is that my friend thought of me, bought me a gift, wrapped it up in this tissue paper, wrapped it up in this bag. And now this whole, you know, bag and tissue paper and everything, the whole collective thing is now a representation of the love that she gave for me. And when I'm feeling my anxiety or if I'm feeling triggers for my PTSD, I now have that physical item to self-soothe myself so I can regulate my nervous system to remind myself that, no, see, you're loved. You're not the things that that awful man said that you were. I am loved. And that's just a physical representation of that. And it gets really skewed because... When you see the trash, I mean, a hoarder can attach any type of, there's a story behind it. That's why they're holding onto it. I mean, at its core. It's just defining that line. Like what's resourceful, what's what's trash, what's meaningful. Those lines are completely blurred in our world.
2: Has there been one object that was
3: particularly hard, more than any of the others to let go of? So I never force myself to let go of something that I'm not ready to let go of. I keep it. That's why it's taking me so long to let it go. But again, it's, re, it's reconditioning my nervous system to be like, I'm still safe if I let this go. Because if I let something go before I'm ready, it's gonna turn into a negative. It's going to spark all those emotions. And it's kind of like, I'm gonna give myself grace to be like, you know what? not ready. Maybe there's something I have to work on internally before I let that go. But I'm not going to force myself to let this item go. And the funny thing is because I stayed true to that, that as the years gone by, things that I was like, nope, not letting that go. All of a sudden, the emotional attachment was gone. And I was like, wow, I, I don't feel anything to this object. This feels odd to me. This feels very strange. I'm not used to this kind of feeling. And I can actually freely let it go and almost understand what everyone else. Feels like, wait, you can let that go. You can, like, that's very strange and odd to me. <laughs> but it's because I never forced myself. It's because I have been working through those past traumas and telling, you know, 11 year old Melanie that you're loved and telling 17 year old Melanie that you are beautiful and just working through all that internal pain that I've put in a mental box that's now manifested into physical boxes. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, these items that once had a stronghold no longer hold that value and I can actually start to see the vision come in of, oh, it is trash, I but I want to recycle it. <laughs> I don't want to throw it in the dumpster. <laughs> I want to bring it back to
2: life somehow. Is there anything that anybody else could have done to help you get to where you are? Or is this 100% all you, Melanie.
3: I think it's what my soul was called to do. I think it's all perfect timing. I think it was meant to unfold. I I don't want to get too much into different things, but I do believe that my soul had chose this path in its perfect timing. All the events that were meant to unfold did in their rightful time. All the people who were meant to come into my life in different seasons or for the lifelong, you know, the you know, the soul sisters, (laughs) you know, (laughs) were meant to sick up. I was meant to learn this. I was meant to be full-on hoarding disorder, level four, you know, anxiety, PTSD, ADHD. (laughs) And (laughs) that's also a big factor to ADHD. But it was meant to unfold like this. And I was just Meant in this timeline to just say, you know what? It's time to change. I'm going to humanize it so that people can truly understand it, so that they don't feel alone, and that people who have family members that are hoarding disorder can really understand the mentality and be like now i get it now i can show my family member my mother my father because i get a lot of those emails they're like now i get it now i get the mindset now i understand how to approach my family member because it's not trash to them you know and i see where they're struggling and now i can help it because the worst thing you can do is Throw everything out in a hoarder in one shot. It's it is the absolute worst thing. They are going to regress. They are not going to trust you. They're going to rehoard it. And the worst advice to give a hoarder is to say just throw it away.
2: For somebody who's listening to this conversation and they hear themselves in it and uh, the attachments that you felt, the pain that you felt, yes, the the progress you wanted to make, the progress you are making and they feel like maybe soon they'll be ready to take a first step in freeing themselves and being happy in a different way. Yes. In a more full way. What What would that first step be? Or maybe uh, what would those first steps be?
3: Well, the first steps would be that I want you to know that you are not alone in these feelings and in hoarding disorder. There are millions upon millions of us and i know that there's more that there's more of us that's on record right because we hide it it's a it's a hiding disorder and the strength is within you and please believe that the strength is in is within you it always has been and it always will be and give yourself grace if you start out with just letting go of one paperclip Please know that I will cheer you on and I will do jump kicks and backflips for you. (laughs) Because I know that that one paperclip could have been like 10, 15 mental battles for you to get past, to feel comfortable to let that go. Just go at your own pace. Never force yourself, never force yourself to let anything go that you're not ready to. But give yourself the love and the grace and the compassion that you are able to do it and that there are people around you rooting your rise they want to see you do this you're not alone in this and i just want to give you a big hug <laughs> melanie renee thank you so much for talking with me oh thank you so much it was beautiful and i i absolutely feel so aligned with you and the conversation was just beautiful and i know that we were meant to meet at this perfect timing too.
2: <laughs> if you or someone you care about could use some help, we'll have links to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, on our website, ctpublic.org audacious. Their helpline is 1-800-950-6264. This show is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin-Di Martinez, who did a lot of heavy lifting, so to speak, for this episode, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. This week, our special thanks goes to Melissa Loddick, hoarding disorder expert, for the additional context and for connecting us with Rachel. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, or you can send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening there's space for you bye bye clutter bye 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 clutter